to hour two of the program. It is Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon, Pat Steinberg along with you. I would have liked to hear more of the song, actually. You want more? Huh. <laughs> let, her, let her ride. Work on the podcast because we can't we can't have music on the podcast. Not really my Cam, how would you cut this? Oh that boy, the, like it's a long to, story. Yeah, that's why they pay me the big bucks, buddy. The big bucks. Why? But that's okay. <laughs> Enough to pay for the Subaru. Not really. You don't drive it anywhere, it's so worse. it's in great working condition right here. Yeah. Uh, the smart alk across from me is Pat Steinberg. <laughs> Producers that you hear, at least one of them, uh, is Cam. The other one is Taylor. We're in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Brought to you by our good friends, Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked foundation, building foundation walls. Well, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. The DLBasementSystems.com. Hey, Pat. Yes, sir. Remember when you said that the Elks weren't going to win last night? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that. Good on them. That was, uh, you know, the most impressive and exciting part about that was the way Trey Ford played. Because with Nathan Rourke south the border now, void with Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL. And there's Trey Ford who steps in and has the best outing of his very young CFL career. He was He was dynamic last night. And that was the best part of it. So... It was a road win. They still have the longest home, home losing, losing streak yeah. in, in uh, pro football history. But uh, it was good to see them finally win. And it was cool to see them win thanks to a Canadian quarterback leading the way. And if you go back to Trey Ford's college career, I think that there's always been an understanding that this guy has um, a lot of dynamic talent. But I like the way... I like the playbook that was designed for him. I like the fact that that playbook allowed him some freedom to run the ball. And I like that he was able to hone in the decision-making. There wasn't anything real high risk in the way that he went about things. Only five incomplete passes. Um, that was a really nice, uh, that was a really nice start to what I think now is a second half of the season for Trey Ford. Because if you're the Elks, you've tried Taylor Cornelius, you've tried countless other things why not just roll with Ford for the rest of the year? Even even if it isn't anywhere near as good for the rest of the year as it was last night, you've got you've got an opportunity to build something, to develop something, and maybe I don't think Taylor Cornelius is the quarterback of the future in Edmonton. Sure but, about that? I you you don't you, you think Taylor Cornelius is the no, quarterback of the, the future? Here's the only reason why I think that it's too early to say because of Chris Jones. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And because I'm not. I'm, I'm went, applying. I'm applying logic to the conversation. Yeah. Because the guy that apparently has all control over football decisions in the city. Yes. Of I'm trying. I'm trying to speak logically. Yeah. And, and hey, and that makes that logic makes a lot of sense. But I also, you know, remember talking or thinking to myself last week, even when they lost to Winnipeg and and dropped that 22 point lead, what the hell took so long? Yeah. And then Chris Jones still has to have something to say about his quarterback staying in his lane after the game because he thought the play calling got too conservative down the stretch. 
I don't know what it is about Chris Jones that he has this problem with Trey Ford. I don't know that he's he's not the classic pocket passer. <sighs> I don't even know but... if it's that he's got a problem with Trey Ford. It's that he he's from everything that you, we are led to believe. It's that like it's Chris Jones's way or the highway, and Chris Jones from the get go thought Cornelius was his guy. So. I, I think there is way too much of a biased attachment to Cornelius. That's my guy. That's my guy. And uh, I, I'm not going to be wrong. And if T- Trey Ford is good, that means that I'm wrong. And Taylor. So if you're wrong, that's the worst thing in Chris Jones's world, it feels like a lot of the time. So I think that is as much what's going on. But logically, I wouldn't go away from Ford the rest of the year unless there's No, injury. I wouldn't either. But just the fact that I know. Whether or not that happens or not exactly. is a fair point for me. Because I, I have a weird feeling the first sign of uh, of defeat or dissent at, at the hands of Trey Ford, he has a bad game, which is going to happen to a young quarterback at some point. And I have a feeling the the czar of football that stands above the all in Edmonton, despite never winning games apparently anymore. Um, it is going to make a decision to try to go back to Taylor Cornelius. Yeah. I wouldn't. I would have. First of all, I would have been done with Taylor Cornelius four or five weeks ago. Period. He just wasn't showing enough to me to to bother. And and, and look, I I get it. Yeah, it's your guy. You want to go for it, but are you not trying to win football games? You're not trying to put the best product yeah. out on the field. And it took you this long to get to Trey Ford and. In two weeks, I think Trey Ford has made Chris Jones look pretty silly for not giving him an opportunity sooner. Well, now he's got an opportunity to um, make himself look a whole lot smarter by sticking with it and not going away from a guy who's clearly more set up to be quarterback of the future. I mean, they 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 spent a significant draft pick on Trey Trey Ford a couple of years ago, so why not let him? Why not let him? Start to develop and see if maybe you've got something there. Yeah, I'm. I would if I was Edmonton. I, like I said, I think you've seen everything. I think in Jarius Jackson as well. You have a former quarterback in this league who I don't know that he had quite the same dynamic running style that Trey Ford has, but was a mobile quarterback. I think Jackson and Ford profile in some similar ways for, for sure. sure. Yeah, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't put them that distinctly far away from it. So I think Jackson's the right guy to put Trey Ford in the right situation. I mean, he only threw the ball, what, 20 times last night? 18 times. So, and I think that's probably fair to him that, you know. But you throw in 60 rushing yards. He was well, exactly. dynamic. He's, he was They still effective. have Kevin Brown, who's a really good running back in this league. So I don't think they need to, in any way, shape, or form, start throwing the ball 30 or 40 times with Trey Ford. But I think having the right guy calling the plays and understanding how to get the most out of Trey Ford also plays yeah. in a, a massive factor here. So good on Edmonton. I'm a, I am super concerned on the other side of the ball for the Hamilton Tiger Cats because this was supposed to be an all-in year with the Grey Cup and all the money they've spent on former Stampeders and guys around the league, and the results have been abysmal. Now and I think Orlando Steinauer is in a lot of trouble. The the prop before before I can put too much on Steinauer's shoulders, he's gone through two quarterbacks. His his first and his second string quarterback are on the shelf. Bo has not been Bo has not been great when he's been healthy, but if you can give a little bit of leeway for a learning curve or an adjustment period, we haven't even been able to get past that because Bo's been hurt twice. And then Schiltz comes in 
And Schultz looked pretty decent in his time. And now he's done for the year. So you're going with a rookie in Taylor Powell, who I think has some dynamic ability, isn't afraid to push it down the field. But I, I find it I find it a little hard to put too much on Steinauer when his number one and his number two quarterback have gone down. Um it's been a it's been a rough year for Hamilton. There's no doubt about it. And I don't know. Like Ottawa is still in that conversation about potentially being a playoff team. If you're the Stampeders, you were pretty happy to see Edmonton pick up that big win last night. Them. A big favor because the two teams that Calgary's fighting for playoff spots with are Hamilton in and the crossover and Saskin and Ottawa too, and then Saskatchewan in the West Division. That's that it's it's Calgary's not playing with the big boys right now. Calgary's playing for a bubble playoff spot, and right now it's Edmonton. Uh, sorry, uh, Saskatchewan, Hamilton. And Ottawa is the bubble playoff teams in, in this league. So certainly a um, a favor was done by the Elks last night in beating Hamilton. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't sit here and say that I am enamored by the way the Ticats are playing. I just don't know how much of it I can put solely at Orlando Steinauer's feet. I, I, I really, have, I, and maybe I'm a little biased too, because I've just been such a big fan of the work that he's done there, but it just it's hard when you have those types of injuries when your number 1 and your number 2 quarterback go down i don't know it's 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 hard to put too much on the head coach and gm you know no and i, I feel the same way i'm am i say those things about Orlando Steinauer knowing that i'm also a fan and knowing that i think he is a great cfl coach <laughs> i just wonder given how long he's been there given the kind of money the gm has spent this year to bring in so much talent and yeah you Injuries are always going to play a big factor in it, but I just, with so much on the line, they've had heartbreak a lot against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers the last couple of years. They saw this as a big opportunity with the Grey Cup at home to bring in Bo and to bring in Jameer Thurman and James, James Butler, Butler to just name a couple. And it's it's not only we're not talking about this team as a Grey Cup contender, we're, we're talking about them as maybe not even a playoff contender at this point, and that's, I don't know how well that sits in Hamilton with a lot of people. And Unfortunately, and you know this as well as anybody, Pat, in sports, a lot of time it's the head coach that's For the sure. easiest one to, For sure. to make a move with, right? But I'm curious, you know, similar conversation with Steinauer, I'm curious how the, the CFL's hot football ops cap and firing a football ops member still counting on the cap I wonder how much of a detriment that is to parting ways with Steinauer because of how much he's getting paid and the two roles that he's taken on. I just I wonder how much that would um, prevent or deter Hamilton from making that move, especially in season, because of of the type of impact it would make on that cap. It's such a it's such a bizarre rule the CFL has implemented over the last number of years, and it makes a move like firing Chris Jones, which has seemed obvious for weeks now, or, or even this conversation, if you're of the belief that a guy like Steinauer um, might need to go to change things up a little bit, it's a whole lot more difficult to do in the CFL than it would be in most other pro leagues. Yeah. And, and I wonder about that going forward. If that cap on ops doesn't take a shift into seeing smaller or shorter contracts, or they get rid for, of that rule. It's worth having well, a conversation about that I mean, this offseason. I don't know what kind of league encourages their teams to spend less on, on putting out a yeah. better product. That 
doesn't make any sense to me. If you can, and we look, they've graduated coaches to the NFL before. I get they've what graduated they graduated coaches to other levels, but I don't know. Did you think that there was a big variance in how well, much teams I, were spending? I think what they were trying to do was coming out of COVID, trying to even the playing field a little bit so that, you know, the, the Winnipeg's and the Saskatchewan's who are going to be spending through the roof don't go, you know, trying to similar to what formula one does when they have their cost cap. And, you know, you've got teams like Red Bull and Ferrari and, and, and Mercedes who are spending at a ridiculous level. And then you've got your back of the grid teams who don't have that same type of capital. So there's been this debate about what a cost cap and, and a spending cap should look like in formula one for 10, 15 years, similar idea as to what the CFL was trying to do. I think in, in trying to make it so that yeah, Sask and Winnipeg were hurt by the pandemic in a lost season, less so than teams like Edmonton or Ottawa or BC were. And so trying to maybe even that playing field, but you know, now we're a couple of years out of COVID you wonder if maybe that could start to be um, adjusted in terms of the way they look at things. I would think so because I think it's just put too many restrictions now on 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 teams when it comes to to making these kind of decisions. And, and maybe I'll- maybe it hasn't. I mean, listening to the board speak the other day when Victor Cooey was out in Edmonton, I don't know if the board was ever seriously considering firing Chris Jones, which. Uh, but if that if that if the cost cap doesn't exist, would that conversation? I change? don't know, and we I, don't. We, you're right. I have we don't no know. idea. I wasn't convinced that they were as money concerned. I feel like they had just given the power to Chris Jones and were fine letting him operate his way out of it. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe maybe the cost certainty aspect of it did play into a factor for it. But at some point, it's going to go away. I mean, we can't. I just don't see any any positive coming from it anymore. Well, I I think I'll give, I know that Randy Ambrosi has a lot of critics out there. I, I, I'm not as, as critical of the work that he's done as commissioner as, as some others are. And one of the things that I'll give him credit for is that there, there's been a lot of pivots made. He's, he's made changes. He has reacted to criticism and said, okay, we tried this. It didn't work. Let's, let's change it. Uh, We've seen a number of those things over the last uh, three or four years in the CFL. Um, a few texts, 960, 960, uh, Curtis and Ogden says, guys, do you think players in Edmonton have tuned out Chris Jones? Seems like a flake of a coach at times. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Jones had been tuned out. The, uh, the message tends to wear thin when it comes to Jones in his different spots over the last number of years. And somebody else calls him the Bill Belichick of the CFL, except that Bill Belichick wins. I mean, generally. Chris Jones won as well. But hasn't won since then. Well, what does he have? One, one great, great cup, cup as a head coach? Yeah. Yeah, so. Bill's got slightly more. Uh, in terms of power in an organization, it sure seems as though he's Belichick-esque. This is but the only, I don't know why. I don't know why. The only, uh, the only good thing Chris Jones has done in the CFL is in the last 10 years was a sound clip of football as a violent sport. And I, before that text kind of came to in, find it? I've been trying to find it in every folder. I know that we, ha- I can't find it. Really? Yeah. Football is a violent sport. Wow. I don't know where it is. I know Will had it somewhere. I just don't know where he put it. I'm going to try to find it before the segment's out, but. And then Matt and Cochran says the best thing about Taylor Cornelius being the subject of my nominee for CFL call of the year. What is happening when he got, remember when he, when he was getting sacked and he threw the football. Oh yeah. He just Dusty, tossed it d- up. Old, old Dusty Nielsen. Good luck on the new, uh, the new venture, by the way, Dusty. 
Um, the uh, the the Dustin Nielsen call. What is happening? Like Taylor Cornelius just pulls off everything that you're taught not to do as a quarterback in that situation. <laughs> yeah, Chris or Taylor just just tuck the ball and go down. We're gonna live to fight another down. No, actually, as you're spinning around and being tossed backwards, uh, Taylor, I'd like you to just throw up the ball and and pray. That's that's where we're at. And that was just, yeah. And I think mean, Chris Jones was still still rolled him out there. Still ready to go. Hmm. I found it. You got it? Where is yeah. it? What folder? Uh, morning. Oh, morning show. I haven't looked Jay, at it. Uh, Jay DeForest's old okay. stomping ground. Okay. Football is a violent sport. Football is a violent sport. <laughs> Football is a violent sport. Let me tell you this about Taylor Cornelius. Taylor, Taylor throws a football. He throws a football well. He's dynamic. He stays in his lane. And in a violent sport, Taylor Cornelius is our quarterback, and uh, we're going to come together here. We're going to play some violent football here in the second half of the season. Remember remember when Chris Jones tried to bring Vince Young up to Saskatchewan? To you, Coach, and uh, Craig oh, back there, man. and as well as the Saskatchewan entire um, city. <laughs> city uh, I just want to tell you guys, I really do appreciate <laughs> um, the opportunity as well as my teammates. Like, imagine being imagine being uh, an American guy and not being prepped on how to say that. Well, and the best thing is, he talks about the city, but that's not the city. Yeah. So you coach and uh, Craig back there and as well as the Saskatchewan entire um, city. city uh, I just want to tell you guys, uh, I really do appreciate um, the opportunity again. as well as my teammates. Looking forward to me. Feel a little more prep. That's all. They'd be like, they'd be like throwing, throwing me or you in the middle of, I don't know, middle of Tennessee and trying to talk about a small town in Tennessee and trying to, yeah, I felt bad for Vince, Saskatchewan. Remember that whole time? Oh, yeah. That whole training camp. And they were so excited. Farmer Heisman esque players. I would have, I would have actually liked to see. How it would have played out. He was never going to be healthy enough, though. That's the problem. I know. That's why. Remember, uh, remember the Achilles Smith experience. Uh, former top five pick Achilles Smith with the Calgary Stampeders. That didn't remember uh, Ricky Williams with the Argos. I remember Ricky Williams for with smoking the Argos. weed. Yeah, I remember vividly. That was like a a big time NFL running back. Uh, we were just talking about this the other day. I can't remember who I was talking about with on air, but we were talking about going through some of those CFL. Remember when T.O., Chris Jones was trying to bring T.O. up to Edmonton for a tryout? Yep. And I think we were talking about this with somebody because Ocho Cinco still tweets about the CFL all the time. He does. And he was an Alouette for a season. A season. Part of a season. But you know, the, the, the thing about, about Chad Johnson or Ocho Cinco is that he, he does nothing but good things for the CFL and says nothing but good things uh, about the CFL. Like, all, all he does is talk about the the quality and the caliber of the game. And, and he talks about it like a, he's not, it's not a novelty. Like he talks about it. Like Nick Lewis tweets about it or, or other guys tweet about it when just tweeting about it. Like let's, let's talk football, which I actually really appreciate. Well, yeah. I mean, look, and he, in fairness to, to Chad, he doesn't have the CFL resume to come up and talk about it as anything else, because it's not like he performed as a superstar that was above the league when he came. So, I would imagine he should have some respect for it, but he did. I think he did before, anyways, right? I don't think 
he ever sat there and, and looked at it was as some do as a as a secondary league. And I mean, you have a lot of guys who go south of the border and try it out in like for for instance, Darnell Sankey. Tried it out in the XFL. He's like, no, I want to come back to the CFL. It's the one thing, and and I'll, I'll I I am very biased. I I freelance for the league, so I'm I, I am 100 biased in this conversation. But it's the one thing that I always come back to, as as difficult as the CFL's road is, and with some of the challenges that the individual teams have. Look at what Edmonton is going through right now. Look at what we're seeing in this city, and and how how difficult it is to fill McMahon Stadium right now. I mean, it's there are a number there are, and then there's some real healthy success stories. Winnipeg is maybe one of the best. Uh, success stories in pro sports over the last decade and what they've been able to do and what they've been able to build in that market. And they are a model for other leagues and a model for other teams in this league. But CFL always seems to survive. And from all these different leagues, the XFL on two or three different uh, iterations, and we've seen the UFL and the Spring League and 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 some of them are still going. Some of them have folded. Uh, what was the American Football Association? From Just a few, something like that. Uh, they they come and they go. And the CFL still, despite all of their business challenges and despite some of the things that frustrate a lot of people, CFL still puts together talent for talent the best football on the planet outside of the NFL. And and that is what I think keeps the league as uh, still in my eyes as a viable business is the fact that it doesn't seem to matter because of the quality of the actual product itself, the way the game is played. Um, some of the athletes that it attracts because of the way it's played, you still get some really high end players and you get guys who come to this league that have big followings based on where they played South of the border. You know, you take a look at Devaris Daniels and where he played or like just uh, it goes on and on and on guys who played a big time uh, big time NCAA schools. They they bring with them some name recognition and it's some high end talent. So I I know the CFL faces some challenges, but I'm still a big believer in the product. I really am. Uh, that product is on the field tonight in uh, Calgary here, at McMahon Stadium. Week 11 continues. Legacy night. Jeff Garcia, Wally Buono, uh, Rocco Romano, just to name a few uh, of the many alumni that are in Calgary for tonight's game. They're yeah. going to be honoring the 1998. Great Cup champions wearing those sweet black unis. Uh, I remember Jeff Garcia getting emotional on the sideline. Uh, it's like one of the best teams. Dave Dickinson was backing up Jeff Garcia at that point. One of the great Stampeders teams uh, of all time. They'll be honored tonight at uh, halftime and uh, important game for the Stampeders on top of that. We talked about it a bit yesterday, Patty, uh, on our two of the program. Stamps could really use a win. I said this earlier. Uh, Winnipeg not going to have Zach Kolaros. Uh, you had Chad Kelly go down in the game earlier this month, too, if you're the Calgary Stampeders. Doesn't matter who's on the other side. You just got to find a way to take advantage of it and come up with a win. That uh, agreed. And see if maybe the weather can help you out. And um, that the, the, the fact that it's legacy night tonight, it's too bad. The weather is, looks like it's going to be garbage. Uh, but that 1998 team, one of... Uh, that's a that's probably a top 10 15 sports moment that when Mark McLaughlin nailed that field goal to uh win the game it was 26 24 final score um 
that is, I will always remember where I was when uh, that field goal split the uprights. I was uh, downstairs at uh, my best friend's place, watching with his family and a bunch of other people, and uh, that was cool. And that that team has some of my favorite Stampeders of all time, uh, whether it's Vince Danielson, which is one of the only jerseys that I still wear, um, Vince Danielson, number 88, or uh, Kelvin Anderson, or just like the, obviously the quarterbacks and Aldi Henry and those, the, 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 it was just such a, it was such a stacked team. So it's, it's cool. They're going to get to honor him tonight. He's Pat Steinberg. I'm Logan Gordon. This is Sportsnet Today, hour two of the program rolling on here from the Doug Lacey's Basin Systems downtown studio. We'll take a break, come back on the other side and uh, share some memories of one of the greats in the hockey world who passed away last night at the age of 81. We'll talk about Rick Jennerette. RJ and the Buffalo Sabres next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. Rolling on as uh, this hour of uh, Sportsnet today continues. Steinberg and Logo with you. Thursday night, it was uh, official that at the age of 81, August 17th, uh, 2023, that uh, legendary broadcaster Rick Jennerett passed away. Um, one of the most iconic voices in the NHL. One of the most original play-by-play broadcasters, I think, in the history of play-by-play. Like, this guy meant to that market, that to that group of fans, and if you're... If you've never um if you've never dove in or spoken to somebody from Buffalo, if you've never been to Western New York and and uh, hung around that town, look, you know Buffalo takes its knocks for not being the most beautiful place or it's a little bit run down, whatever. That is a ve- people from Buffalo, much like Detroit or Edmonton or Winnipeg or like just Calgary, like a place like these places get put on no trade lists. And, but people who are from there, like Logo and I are from Calgary. We know that Calgary gets put on no trade list because it gets damn cold in the winter and it's 1.5 million people, not 11.5 million people and so on and so forth. But people from these cities are very proud and Sabres fans are proud of their team, proud of their city. And that guy was the voice of the sound of a franchise for decades. And, you know, it's it's the same as what Pete was and still is in this market. I mean, you know, people who lived through the glory days of the Calgary Flames, people who grew up in the 90s and early 2000s watching the Flames, people who uh, reveled in the 89 or the 86 Cup run, people who reveled in the 04 Cup run. You know, the, the soundtrack of those times was Peter Marr and Yeah, Baby and Tonight. And like just you knew what you were going to get from Peter Marr. I, I still can't listen to the song Taking Care of Business without hearing the 66 CFR um, cover of Taking Care of Business. And it was a Flames cover. And one of the, uh, it just says, one of the lines was Peter Marr is on the, if you can't be there, Peter Marr is on the air. I cannot listen to BTO's uh, Taking Care of Business without hearing that. Um, Anyway, I digress. That's what Rick Jennerett meant to the city of Buffalo. And Rick Jennerett meant everything to a generation of broadcasters who grew up in that area of Southern Ontario or that area of Western New York. Ask Derek Wills. Um, and uh, I, I believe, I don't want to speak for Derek, but I believe Rick Jennerett was his idol, uh, play-by-play idol growing up. And, uh, and that would be 
Derek would be one of many who would be in that uh, in that category. He just there's there's fewer and fewer and fewer originals like that out there. And Rick Jenneret was an original, and you thought of him the same way you thought of Mike Lang in Pittsburgh, or uh, Peter Marr in Calgary, or Rod in Edmonton, or you know, just was one of those guys who was synonymous with the organization and with the team. JR and, and WWE Raw. Like there's there's only a few guys. Vince Scully. Vince Scully and the Dodgers, 100%. Uh, Jack Buck and the Cardinals. There's only a few guys that, that can be that iconic. And people remember the players. And just as much as they remember the players, they remember the broadcasters. And, and here's just a few reasons why. I went and pulled uh, a few calls. Uh, from Rick Jenneret, like you don't get this type of passion, you don't get this type of originality um, anywhere else because he was an original. So here's just a a few. Um, as uh, Eric Francis uh, points out, franchise listing, what a beauty. Uh, Joe Bowen in Toronto, absolutely, he'd be That's very one. much in that same category. Um, even even when you talk Bob Cole and Danny Gallivan, like just guys that Dan Schulman's getting into that category. So this was uh, this was May thirteenth, two thousand six. That two thousand six playoff run was uh, pretty damn impressive for the Sabers. They made it all the way to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Final that year. Uh, so this was May thirteenth of two thousand six, Game Five, Round Two. Sabers up three games to one on the Ottawa Senators, a chance to advance into the Eastern Conference Final. They were uh, in overtime. I think it was probably called the Carell Center at this point in two thousand six. In overtime in. Ottawa. Ballot stolen away and cleared out to center ice to Pumminville. Pumminville into Ottawa territory. Pumminville goes around Alfredson, cuts in front, scores! Jason Pumminville, shorthanded! Oh, now do you believe? Now do you believe? These guys are good, scary good, and they are going to either Carolina or New Jersey. The Buffalo Sabres Senators in overtime. So that year, they had so many overtime wins, uh, and a big architect of those overtime wins was Danielle Briere, now the uh, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, this was. This was May 30th of 2006, so the Sabres advance to the Eastern Conference Final against Carolina. They fall down three games to two. Game six, back in Buffalo. Sabres season on the line in overtime again. Plays it over to Breer. He took a shot. Rebound the And there is something iconic. I think the Buffalo Sabres goal horn is top two, three in the world. Uh, it just it is so instantly recognizable, and there's just something cool about and something like it's a perfectly pitched hearing Rick Jenneret going out of his mind at like the same tone as that goal horn it just it it sinks so perfectly it sounds so perfect this is that same playoff run but this was uh right at the uh very beginning of it uh this was game one round one 
overtime again in Buffalo, uh, Sabres and Philadelphia Flyers. Off to Newmanen. Newmanen. He keeps it in by sending it in behind the net. Here's Frank Eddie trying to clear it out in front. Back it comes. Kept in by Hesh. Penalty coming up to Philadelphia. And just before we play the most famous one from uh, the Golden Pipes of Rick Jenneret, can you just imagine, like, watching that game? You could be in Calgary, you could be in Florida, you could be in L.A., and watching that game on television and listening to the atmosphere, and I will I will say I don't know if there's a better atmosphere in hockey than a Buffalo Sabres playoff game in that building. It is, like, it, I've never been but it just has always permeated so well on television. And and part of that is because of the way that guy brought you into games and the way that guy made you feel like you were there. Of course, this is the uh, most iconic of all of Rick Jenneret's iconic calls. April 24th, 1993, round one, game four, overtime in Buffalo, Sabres and Boston Bruins, Buffalo leading the series three games to none. Bring it up to LaFontaine, he gets tripped up, gets it to May, and over the line, he's May going in on goal, he shoots, he scores! So, it just, and we're going to play a, a, a Sportsnet 960 tradition in just a second. And I'll, I'll I'll give you the uh, the backstory on it, but as a guy who, um, like, like from the age of twelve, was dead set on doing one thing, and that was working and and being in sports broadcasting in some form or another. First thing I ever wanted to do was play by play, and and it was honestly it was Peter Marr, it was Bob Cole. And it was this video that the NHL put out. It was like the NHL's greatest goals. And and I remember a few of them. Uh, one of them was a Darren McCarty goal with Detroit in the 97 Cup Final against Philadelphia. Um, one of them was the Stefan Matteau goal that sent the New York Rangers to Game 7 against the Devils in the 94, 94 Eastern Conference Final. Uh, Thank goodness, because that meant the Rangers won the Stanley Cup and the Canucks didn't. Um, but Stefan Mattel and the Mattel, Matt, like, and, and one of them was that Mayday call. And uh, and so it was calls like that that made me first want to do play-by-play. Watching that that NHL's greatest goals, VHS, 7,000 times. And it was, it was, because I knew I was never going to play. I knew I was never going to be able to to be in the NHL as an athlete. So the next best thing for this this sport that I was obsessed with was I want to be a part of it in another way. And and it was because of goals like that Mayday goal and and Rick Jenneret making it feel like Rick Jenneret was ex- as excited as as Brad May was, and he made you as excited as Brad May was, and Sabres fans were, and and it's like that's. That's why I wanted to do play-by-play. Now, much like I realized I was not going to play in the NHL, I don't think I'm a very good play-by-play guy. So, uh, and so, 
that's why I grew to respect guys like Rick and and other guys who are able to transport you into the building like that so much because it's a damn hard job. It is to to do what an NHL or high level play by play guy does and to make you actually feel like you're there. It's uh it, it is an incredible talent and I don't know if there is a guy who uh who did it better than Rick Jenneret did. And so at the age of 81, the NHL has lost an absolute legend. Uh, born July 23rd, 1942 in St. Catharines, Ontario. Um, so grew up right in that western New York and southern Ontario area and uh, would go on to be the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Sabres. Um, he took over the radio play-by-play duties um, in the 1960s, um, and served until very, very recently. What a hell of a career! What a hell of a life! And uh, it's something special when you've got you've got people from across the NHL doing tributes. I would really encourage you to go to the Sabers website or Sabers social media today. Tributes, goals, like uh, as this uh, texter writes in. Uh, biggest Sabres fan in Calgary right here. You guys are making me cry. Grown man tears. Listen to these calls that are such core memories of my adolescence. RJ forever. And uh, you know that there are Sabres fans uh, in that area and everywhere who are thinking the same thing. RJ was great. And the thing that hurts the most about that, Pat, is and losing a guy like that is there are so few like him now. There are so few... Peter Mars and Vin Scully's and Rick Jenneret's around. And I think there's a number of different reasons for that. I think one is just naturally the business that we're in and, and some of the decisions that have been made over the years and how broadcasters are seen as important to the sport and, and being there and all that sort of thing. I think that's changed it a lot. But I mean, I just, I, I'll never understand how, you know, you can't listen to to those calls that you just played, or and that's only a any one exactly. Them. That's that's a, a small sample of or any of those guys that we've talked about, and not feel the value of that position and of that of that man being in the building, right? Of that man being there night in, night out to tell you these stories and to bring you these sort of memories like that. To, to disassociate the way that that it has in our business at sometimes I'll never understand that and look and I I get it from some perspective there's always trying to please as many people as you can and so sometimes I think we take a a generic route to broadcasting I think it's also just, too. It's a different world. I think that For sure the, it I is. think what is being asked of guys is different now than it ever has been. Um even local sports is far more accessible and far more um it's far more widespread you can get you can it, like it used to be you got sabers games in buffalo and buffalo only and mm-hmm. that syracuse buffalo uh rochester that's where you got sabers games that region that region only there was no nhl center ice there was no nhl game center there was no nhl live right so it became like i i remember i remember rob kerr doing flames games at shanks and not being able to watch the game because it wasn't on TV. And that's not that long ago. Nope. And so you take a look back to 20, 25 years ago, 
The only place you got Sabres games was in Buffalo. The only place you got Flames games was in Alberta. There was nowhere near the accessibility of it now, and I think that's changed a lot of things. I think it's made it so that networks, and and this is not a criticism or anything, it's just I think this is what has gone on. I think the, the networks don't necessarily want that Full on, I'm trying to think of the right, Homer, I guess, is the word you'd use. But well, yeah, that, that's full on, like part of the team feel because of how accessible things are. I'll throw out a name that, that takes that that heat a lot is Jack Edwards. I think Jack does a hell of a job. Yeah, but but how many people would tell you that outside of Boston they like listening to a Jack Edwards Oh, sorry. Call? I was thinking about Jack Michaels. I think Jack Michaels does a hell of a job. Jack Michaels does. Shut up, Siri. Um, Shut up, Siri. Um, th- th- that's what I think. That there's where that line is, but I, I still think that there's a way to, to like, I mean, well, the way Rick did it exactly. Pretty, Rick, pretty... Rick Jennerett called the way Joe away still does it as way as well as that, I loved it about Peter Marr and away goal was was as full of passion and as full as everything as a home goal was. I will always remember Marr calling the two goals that Ruslan Fedotanko scored in game seven and remember him calling the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup, yep. and you knew that that broke his heart. Especially sure with, did. With how close it was and that stupid save that Happy Bullen made in the dying seconds, um, and he still gave it its due. It wasn't, you know, sometimes we'll make, we'll make light of, you know, in football, this crazy college win or something like that, or a crazy last-second touchdown or field goal, and you get the one side, and it's the... It's the home broadcast going nuts, and the other side, it's the other home team. And, and touchdown. Uh, the, uh, the Broncos have won the football game. Touchdown, Titans, and the game is over. Um, so a tip of the hat to Rick Jenneret. I'll give you the, um, as, as we start to wrap things up, this is a little long, but you know what? I don't care. Uh, this Rob Kerr used to play this on the last day, last broadcast day before Christmas, which was usually December 23rd. Um, he would play this as, as kind of the last thing or one of the last things that he did. And, and when Rob and I did the show together, he and I would always argue, well, wouldn't argue, but like playfully argue, like, you know, you don't have to play the whole thing. Like, you just play a portion of it. He's like, no, no, we have to play the whole thing. And, of course, uh, Rob was the senior guy, so he, uh, he won the argument, and as he should have. And so it was always like, well, you don't have to play all six minutes and 18 seconds of it. Like, yes, we do. We're playing all six minutes and 18 seconds of the holiday stress buster, as Rob called it and coined it. It is the Rick Jenneret 12 Days of Christmas. Uh, rest in peace to one of the greats. Uh, this is the Rick Jenneret 12 Days of Christmas. Sportsnet Today, available wherever you get your podcasts. Flames Talk is coming up next. Rest in peace to Rick. Take a listen. We'll talk to you on the other side. The first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. On the second day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. To Dirty Brian! Dirty Brian! And a... <laughs> 
her tree. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me for On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me six. Oh, what a hit by Campbell! Holy mackerel! Campbell stepped into his check in the blue line. Now they're all chasing after Campbell. Brian Campbell. On the seventh day of Christmas, my true lesson to me, seven... Chris Drury! Nobody laid a glove on him! He waltzed out in front of the net, stuffed it in! Six... Oh, what a hit by Campbell! Holy mackerel! Christmas, my true love sent to me. Robert Esch has lost it. He has lost it. And he's blown his cool. He's flipped his lid. <laughs> Chris Drury, nobody laid a glove on him. Six. Oh, what a hit by Campbell. Holy mackerel. On the ninth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Not right where Mama hides the cookies. He has lost it, and he's blown his cool. He's flipped his lid. Chris Drury, nobody laid a glove on him. Six. Oh, what a hit by Campbell. On the tenth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Take all the highlight film. Right where Mama hides the cookies. And he's blown his cool. He's flipped his lid. Chris Drury. Six. Oh, what a hit by Campbell.
On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. I sent eleven these guys are good, scary good. Can roll the highlight film. Nine. Right where Mama hides the cookies. Eight. He's flipped his lid. Seven. Chris Drury. Six. Oh, what a hit by Campbell. Five. Six. What a hit by Campbell! Five.